This episode of AVXL is recorded on September 26, 2020. We're going to talk about troubleshooting your TV, or if you're getting ready to sell one. It all starts with a reset, people. Will TCL deliver the first QD OLED Epson's new LS500 projector? Some help picking a first turntable and quite a bit more. And don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. Testing, one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear. No matter what your budget is, I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. I was fascinated to find out that there is a new KEF LS50. Yeah. Primarily a new driver design inside of that. Word is, it is a sweet upgrade over the previous design. If you look at it, it looks like, you know, the, the little mazes with the ball in them that you would tilt the toy in your hand to guide the ball down the maze. They basically created a whole bunch of ports in a piece of material at different lengths to attenuate different wavelengths of noise to absorb audio coming off the rear of the driver and thus keep it out of the cabinet, cool. which in theory can make uh, things sharper and more precise, much like the concentric design of the tweeter and the primary driver on an LS50. Very curious to hear it. I mean, it was already a highly regarded speaker, and this yes. just seems like if we could go back, tweak a couple little things, here's what we would do. Mm-hmm. I am looking forward to actually getting some ear time on a set of those. You and I both. I have uh, I have talked to Kef. Uh, we'll see whether or not we can get a pair in. Uh, I'm very curious to A-B them, uh, especially since uh, someone who is a speaker designer who I respect uh, took one of those apart and said it was essentially the most flawless driver. Uh, he just couldn't see anywhere he would make it better. So with material science, and I believe they also... Uh, Give it a little more oomph in the motor on that, but we'll uh, we'll talk about that more pretty uh, next week, and as soon as we can get our earballs on them. Uh, TCL QD OLED is that what's happening with Samsung's shiny new OLED technology? That was an assumption when Samsung actually announced Samsung Display announced that Samsung Electronics wasn't really interested in at least the first round of their QD OLED material. This is basically a blue OLED material that uses a quantum dot color filter on the top to produce the red and the green channels in addition to having a clear window in the subpixel structure for allowing mm -hmm. that blue OLED light to come through. It seemed that folks like Sony and Panasonic were going to be the first to check that out. And curiously, TCL wasn't on that list. However, earlier this year, TCL made an investment in Japan OLED or JOLED. JOLED has shown a few prototypes of OLED TVs that use inkjet printing in terms of creating the panels compared to the evaporative processes used in today's OLED manufacturing. The main benefit being reduced cost. Literally, it could be a third of the price compared to the way they're currently built. Mm -hmm. If TCL is going to put out one of these displays and they have made a significant investment in this company, it would seem likely that they're probably going to have one of those displays to show off here relatively soon. IFA 2021 is the suggested time frame. We just had IFA or IFA. Mm -hmm. It should be less than a year away. Considering that Sony and Panasonic are also founding members of Japan OLED <laughs> or JOLED, 2021 could be a really interesting year in terms of finally someone else besides LG effectively delivering quantities of quality OLED panels. 
my hope is is that it simply produces better image quality at, at even more affordable prices for everyone. Or perhaps those 70-plus-inch OLED screens will come down to something, you know, maybe half the price they currently are. But that's uh, asking for quite a bit. But it's looking pretty good. And I'm really hoping that maybe even before year's end, TCL will have some announcement related to a potential product for this technology. Hmm. One thing I've pointed out before, and maybe I uh, haven't highlighted it enough, is the fact that this quantum dot OLED tech, all current displays that we look at, be it LG's OLED or an LCD, has a separate color filter on the front that filters the light into the red, blue, green subpixels. In the case of LG's OLED, there is also a clear, quote-unquote, white subpixel as well. They are effectively using filters on the fronts of the light source that dramatically, by their very nature, cut down on the amount of available light output and make it generally more difficult to manufacture, a more costly thing. If you can simply lose a separate color filter and instead use the very efficient quantum dot technology to do the light conversion from something, say a high energy blue light into the red and green that brings along its own sets of benefits. And even compared to what LG's OLED currently does, this also moves the emissive layer with quantum dot OLED closer to the screen surface for even better off axis performance, better light transmission, and hopefully more punch to the picture at lower prices. It's that ability to no longer have this separate plastic resin-based color filter in the front of the screen acting as a notch filter, chopping out the very bright backlighting systems in order to achieve the red, the blue, and the green that we need for a tri-stimulus color mixing in general. (laughs) So, I mean, essentially it brings it closer to the performance we think of from, you know, LG's OLEDs just from a different path. But even compared to LG, LG uses a color filter, a, a resin-based color filter on the surface of their OLED that that white OLED material is pushing through. And that, by its very nature, mm-hmm. lowers the performance of the display just because you're having to filter this light. It is not nearly the efficient uh, nature that you have with quantum dot materials that are orders of magnitude more efficient. Literally, the blue wavelengths come in, they touch off on the red and the green quantum dot materials, and then they... Mm -hmm. almost directly produce that light with very little in terms of loss. Say you have 10,000 nits behind the screen, and then by the time it goes through the color filter, it's down to 1,000 nits, say on an LCD. Usually it's closer to like 30,000 nits behind the screen, and then it's maybe 1,000 nits coming out the front. This would just simply take, say, an OLED material that could perhaps do 2,000 nits. Oh, wow. I would not be surprised to see a quantum dot OLED jump up the, at least initially, the brightness capabilities of OLED panels in general by about 50%. That's my educated guess, and we will have to wait and see for actual shipping products to see if I... uh See if I'm guessing in the right ballpark or not. <laughs> it sounds like you're guessing in the right ballpark. Yeah. Um, it's also one of those classic things where let's see what they do with it when it leaves the factory. Just that nature of being able to do that inkjet printing system, that mm-hmm. is just going to bring forth, once perfected, will bring the cost of building these panels down significantly. And it may even open up some interesting manufacturing for different shapes and sizes of these displays at lower costs as well. Because I'm seeing more and more OLED style displays being used in things like vehicles in terms of either the instrumentation panel or as accenting. This could also tie into also OLED style lighting systems for the home. If it's cheap enough and the performance is there, it would just be a fantastic way to have very efficient light for either making beautiful pixels or illuminating the room appropriately or <laughs> making <laughs> making that dashboard on your car just pop a little bit harder. I'm okay with the dashboard of my car 
popping a little bit better. Uh, as long as it's not so bright, it blows my eyeballs into the back of my skull at night. Oh, no. Uh, something I'm much more frustrated by the older I get and the less uh, <laughs> less flexible my eyeballs get. <laughs> my dashboard is set as low as it can go in terms of uh, nighttime drive. Yeah. I am right there with you. We have another new projector to talk about, uh, Epson's new LS500. It's uh, part of its Epic Vision Ultra lineup. Epson's always looking for new ways to make exciting new projectors. This is their take on a short throw laser 4K projection TV. One of the things they're doing here is is they actually do bundle, and we've seen this with other uh, other 4K HDTVs. They're bundling a, an appropriate screen. They have a 100 and 120-inch version of that three LCD laser inside of that and an Android TV box and a couple of speakers. I'm kind of curious to, uh, and I say this about almost every projector, I'm kind of curious to see it in the field. Uh, (laughs) But uh, some of the notes I had from that was, you know, I believe you will be able to buy it without the projection screen so you can choose your own. For example, for me, it's always about having a motorized screen that can disappear, uh, even in the rooms that I consider dedicated home theater rooms. Prices on their screens are a little spendy, but one of the things Epson pointed out is is the thing they run into is people want a complete setup that they don't have to figure out what screen to buy. And I'm like, that's a legitimate point, uh, especially with short throw light rejecting or ambient light rejecting screens, which are very, very particular uh, in their construction and do amazing things to the light coming off of a short throw projector. I think I kept referring to the screens as ambient light reflecting. And yeah, it's ambient light rejection. <laughs> I kept saying that over and over on a previous episode. And I went back and listened to it. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, it's not reflection. It's rejection. <laughs> and when they work and they're paired with a projector like this, it right. it makes it usable in a room with lighting. Yes. It makes it more like a TV than it would be otherwise. It's fantastic tech when done right. They're looking at $5,000 for their 100-inch kit, uh, $6,000 for their 120-inch kit. Uh, they're either sold out or not in the pipeline yet. Uh, but they're talking about uh, around 4,000 ISO lumens for this. So this is going to deal with some alarmingly bright rooms. Especially when paired with an ambient light rejecting screen like that. That yeah. is just going to be something else. Yeah. It's a 3LCD 1080p, it's basically 3LCD 1080p chips that shift to create the 4K resolution. Uh, I have no issue with these, having seen them in real life in many situations. Uh, Would I like a dedicated 4K chip? Absolutely. Um, But the work they do, there's no smearing, there's no blurriness. It's kind of shocking how good their 4K is from a 1080p, uh, 1080p source. So this is well, I shouldn't say source. I'm trying to see what the this color chip. capability is of this thing. It is equipped with HDMI 2.0 ports, 18 gigabit yes. per second. I will be curious to see how this Epson is set up in terms of its absolute color output for things like HDR content, considering it is HDR10 compatible. I mean, I think they went for the Rec. 709 color gamut. It's not highlighted anywhere, so I would assume right. it's closer to that. I'm sure it exceeds it, actually considering most projectors nowadays slightly yeah. exceed at least Rec. 709 or BT-709, how close can it get to something like DCI-P3 in terms of that color output? Maximum color gamut, yeah. Rec. 709. There you go. Okay. Well, and, yeah, Down the line. You know. <laughs> yeah, so they're, they're trading off absolute range of color for brightness. I mean, it's also interesting that they're doing 12-bit uh, processing, um, which I get primarily to eliminate uh, artifacts and banding on that. Exactly. 
And it does include adjustment curves for HDR. So if you do mm -hmm. run HDR content through this, while you won't get that wide color palette, you at least have, apparently they're showing a 16 step setup so you can yeah. do the curves to best optimize content for your particular room. In particular, the bright details that are sometimes in yeah. HDR content and how you want those. Would you rather it be a little punchier or a little more mm -hmm. detailed or it gives you that option either way. They're specifying like a, a ridiculously high contrast measurement for this. So I'm very, very curious to see what the real world numbers look like on that. Other news, uh, Denon has been making audio gear apparently since 1910, and they are celebrating their 110th anniversary with the Denon AVR A110 AV receiver, the PMA A110 integrated amplifier, the DCD A110 SACD player, and a new phono cartridge, which also has the A110 in there. That's the DLA110MC. These are all basically flagshipy products. $600 for the phono cartridge. Uh, 3000 for the SACD player. So if anybody's looking for an SACD player, there is an SACD, SACD player out there right now. Uh, the PMA A110 integrated amplifier at 3500, which has a lovely giant round knob in the center of it that looks particularly awesome. The uh, A110 8K AV receiver is $5,500. So, you know, they've, they're doing some fancy celebratory models. I just say I wish them a happy birthday. Yeah. Using the 110th anniversary in the naming of these products, too. Is, I don't know. I, it makes me smile. I can't, I can't complain too much. <laughs> the build quality on these looks really good. Uh, you know, Denon, especially with their AVRs, is, is making some serious, serious, serious efforts to deliver very, very quiet, decent performing uh, amplifiers and their AV receivers. I like looking inside of amplifiers because it's great when you start seeing the amount of cooling and copper. They did a really good job. I like heavy amplifiers full of copper that can drive uh, alarmingly loud levels on speakers. Not that I'll ever use those levels because uh, they hurt, but it's nice to know that you can drive your content to its... Uh, an extreme, I shall affectionately call it. I also just love the fact that they have so much copper inside of these because copper is pretty inside of my audio gear, which is something you'll almost never hear me say, caring about how audio gear looks. They're pretty, they're nice, uh, probably out of the range for a lot of people listening, but uh, I would be very curious. I'm very curious to hear if there, anybody gets measurements on that uh, integrated amplifier, the DCD A110, to me, the PMA A110. Uh, integrated amplifier because uh, I think that's going to be, uh, I hope it delivers ridiculous performance. I like high performing integrated amplifiers. They're pretty easy. Uh, I had some questions uh, I asked Dennis around the 3700H, which is their uh, a very fine performing AVR. I just picked up one for my own use. Oh, cool. They now have two 2019 3600H and the 2020 3700H are their entry level. If you're looking for four Atmos channels on your, you know, on an AV receiver. These are kind of their entry-level models on that. Uh, I thought the 3600H would be end of life uh, since the 3700H is shipping, uh, but the 3600H looks to be, uh, it looks like they'll be manufacturing it for a while going forward. There's some very phenomenal audio performance numbers on the 3600H over at uh, Audio Science Research, uh, audiosciencereview.com, pardon me. 3700H almost measures as well as the 3600H, 
but it adds some additional home theater centric features that the 3600H, we talked about those, uh, doesn't have. We talked about those a bunch a couple weeks ago, but uh, one of the big ones that Robert and I were fascinated by is the ability to have uh, two simultaneous tunings for the room so you can A, B your Odyssey setup. You know, My favorite microphones or Yeah, that's... Uh, it's nice. It is. I wish more products had that in particular, especially for room tuning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm still drooling over that PMA A110. That is just a... <laughs> It, it, it has a silvery graphite color brushed aluminum yeah. face and it, it it's not all plastic it doesn't try to shove extra displays in there for no particular reason it's just yeah such an elegant beast it's just fun to look at but anyway <laughs> i know no, 3700 no, is probably more in my line of a uh, value at this point but oh i can't help it's it. okay to covet can't help it draw <laughs> Uh, second question I had for Denon was about the S750H because they've been doing that uh, amplifier has been in their lineup for a couple of years. Uh, I was told they have no plans to update the S750H for 2020. There are no uh, big launches scheduled, at least through the holiday shopping season in the beginning of 2021. So if you've been circling the idea of buying a new AVR, uh, you should be fine if you buy one now. You you will not, uh, at least from Denon, you will not be upset if you buy something. And uh, you will not be surprised with a new entry-level model. That S750H, uh, uh, Chris Hanonen over at uh, Wirecutter picked that as the best kind of entry-level AVR. It is a phenomenal piece of engineering for the money. And if you're looking for an entry-level AVR, because you're finally getting your 5.1... Or your 7.1.2 up and running. That is not a bad way to go. It certainly were. Uh, I've I've owned several Denon AVRs, and I keep buying them. So that's a, a sign of my happiness Excellent. with their engineering. One of the things everyone should know is at one point or another, your TV may behave weird, or you may decide to sell your TV, or your TV may just be pissing you off and you realize that because somebody's tweaked some setting and now everybody's purple or gray <laughs> or purpley gray. Indeed. And there's one fix that rules them all and in the darkness binds them. What would that be, Mr. Heron? Reset that sucker <laughs> when all else fails, really. I mostly deal with software issues within televisions made today in the last few years. They become more and more software centric. You're always getting firmware updates or software updates, and sometimes things go great. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes the TV needs a little help. And as a first step in terms of any kind of troubleshooting, do something called a DC reset, which is effectively just using the remote control and hitting the power button. That turns the TV off, let it set for a minute, and then turn it back on. This won't erase anything or change. It should not change any of your settings. <laughs> it's a good way to start. And sometimes that's all it takes to get an app unstuck or a feature unstuck. And if that doesn't do it, I would go to what they call the AC reset, which is go into the where it plugs into the wall and simply removing it from the wall outlet power for a good five minutes and then plug it back in. If you have an app that's totally misbehaving or a feature mm -hmm. that is really stuck, it gives the TV a chance to fully reboot. Like you were saying, though, if you're planning on ever selling a smart TV or you've tweaked or somebody else has tweaked it to a point where you're not sure what the hell is going on with it and you just want that fresh start like it was right out of the box, 
Most newer TVs I look at do have a specific menu option that will reset the TV back to its out-of-box condition, as if you literally took it out of the box and you were the first person to ever turn it on. At least in years past, and even not so long ago, I have run into potential problems with that kind of menu-based resetting, including downloaded apps that weren't erased or account logins that were still available or network information within the TV that was still retained, including like Wi-Fi and passwords. If you're gonna use one of these built-in reset features, do check the quality of the TV in terms of what was exactly reset. Go through and try to do things without right. putting your information back in and see if any of it is still there. And if that is the case, some TVs do provide service menu options to reset the TV. And Samsung has kind of an infamous one or a famous one. <laughs> In there, they have a reset function that I find nukes that TV back to the point where there is nothing left. And at least with Samsung models, that's kind of like my quick and dirty way, but I have become at least more willing to use the built-in menu functions for resetting the TV that are accessible to anyone. And if you go into the service menu of any television, do not mess around with any settings in there without at least taking a bunch of pictures before so you can put it back just the way it was. There are some hard-coded settings in that menu that are specific to the operation of that particular TV and panel, and it's not a good idea just to start guessing or taking uh, <laughs> little tweaks here and there to see what something will do without proper documentation. I don't really recommend anybody go into TV service menus nowadays. There's almost no real reason to do it without some very specific checkbox items you may or may not want to uh, potentially experiment with. Those are the main things. One, if it's a, something quick and dirty, just power the TV on and off. If that didn't do it, unplugging the TV from the wall for a few minutes to give the, the thing a chance to fully drain everything and reboot is usually the second best that generally will unstuck an app or get something checking properly again that wasn't before. If you are going to do one of these full resets though, either through the built-in menus in the TV or through a service menu option, be aware that it's gonna nuke everything, including if you had, say, an LG OLED with a programmed calibration setup on it for your Dolby Oops. Vision or <laughs> HDR10 or whatever, that could all go away. And those aren't generally things you'll be able just to go back and replace. I have long asked for these manufacturers to include a simple way to, I would like it on a USB stick where you could plug a USB stick into the TV. It would put all of its calibrated data into a file that could then be reloaded right after you do a full reset. But currently I don't see anything like that out there. If you do have a custom calibrated TV, do be aware that these full reset options will likely erase all of that work as well. Putting it back to the way it was, right when it came out of the box. <laughs> With so many smart TVs out there, it's a good idea just to make sure that information's gone if you ever plan to get rid of it, before you get rid of it. Good to know, sir. We got a tweet from Director Pete, aka at Pigs Already Fly. He uh, tweets out, starting a vinyl collection soon, I'm looking at the debut audio at Project Audio Sys Player and Tube Box S2 Tube Amp. Uh, thoughts? Any others I should check out? I'd love to find a combo for $500 if possible. And he uh, 
followed that up. Uh, that he also checked out the Atfluence RT85, but it's $500 alone. I don't have super hearing, just looking for something nice looking that will last a long time. And the nice thing about most record players is that if you don't drop them or have an earthquake or drop them after an earthquake or spill water on them or have your dog pee on them because you left them on the floor, not a personal experience, but a story I heard. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There are a, a billion options out there. There have been a lot of options for a long time. As vinyl started to sort of explode and become very hip a few years ago, a lot of, you know, a lot of products started up that are often beautiful, uh, expensive, and somehow managed to not do a very good job of turning the uh, grooves in the record into something you hear with your ears. Um that $500 Fluence rig, that uh, that RT85, $236 of that price is an Ortofon uh, cartridge. Uh, essentially one that you will probably never need to upgrade. Feel free to email askatavxl.com if you want to tell me stories of your pursuit of the perfect uh, turntable cartridge experience because that's one of those things where you literally can probably I could probably find you more than one example of a fifty thousand or hundred thousand dollar turntable cartridge out there but generally speaking uh, Ortofon makes some fantastic cartridges and uh, you know that's a that's a nice piece of kit in there good advice for the price there are a lot of turntable reviews that are like you know I set it up I listen to it it sounds fantastic uh, to mention uh, Chris over at Wirecutter again he's done you know most of the really serious turntable reviewers will actually measure uh, the accuracy of the speed, the wow and flutter and some other stuff. Because what's one of the issues uh, is if you have a turntable that does not produce the right speed, then the audio is going to be off. Or if it has issues, um, it will induce really irritating artifacts in the listening experience. Personally, if you're just starting your vinyl collection and you don't have a bunch of vinyl, and maybe especially if you didn't grow up with vinyl, I would not spend a lot of money on something to start with. U-Turn um, Audio's Orbit Basic Turntable, they have one with a built-in phono preamp. Uh, they also, their Pluto preamp measures very, very well. Uh, I would buy one of those. That'll get you in the door for like 250 bucks. Uh, then I'd spend six months living La Vida vinyl. I would I would listen to, you know, I would buy records. I would spend a lot of time researching which versions of records were actually analog versus uh, in one of the worst cases of all time. There was like a Rage Against the Machine vinyl release for the 20th anniversary that had the over-compressed terrible audio from the 20th anniversary CD transferred to vinyl. Oh. <laughs> it was just, just one good. of the great... Not ideal. <laughs> Older records, it's not an issue. Newer records, it can be a little squirrely. But you know, then I would, uh, I would buy. I would, I would go out. I would collect my vinyl. I would get a decent vinyl cleaner. I would just listen to it, and I would decide if I liked it. And in six months or a year, if you find that you really like the whole vinyl experience, and I know people who utterly adore that whole physical sensation of pulling out a disc and looking at the liner notes after they've keyed it up and they've dropped the needle on the record, and it's, it's you know, people really enjoy that. It's very visceral you know uh you can think about a cartridge upgrade for that orbit uh or maybe you'll be perfectly happy or you know uh if you don't like it you won't be into it for a fortune and it'll be pretty easy to resell it to somebody on craigslist or on ebay exactly project audio 
did some really nice engineering on that tube box S2 amp. Audio Science Review uh, has been doing some really good measurements of everything they test um, on the amplifier, preamp, and DAC side, and they've done a bunch of Fano preamps. There are a lot of tube devices that just suck, period. They're just badly designed audio tools. Project uh, did some excellent engineering on that tube box S2, but it's still a tube device and that you know introduces you know the tube experience personally if it was me i would start out without a tube <laughs> i would i'd leave tubes out of the chain um again feel free to email ask at avxl.com if you are a tube enthusiast but uh i would start without tubes in the chain and then maybe experience with that because for me like i'm pretty much not going to touch any vinyl until i have a vastly improved phono preamp because one of my frustrations when i did my sort of every five years i try to fall in love with vinyl again was that my phono preamp that i picked up uh after somebody borrowed my old phono preamp and, and never brought it back, um, they did return my cartridge that they borrowed, but uh, was really frustrating because the noise floor was so high, it was irritating the hell out of me because I'm used to incredibly, you know, I'm used to my quiet sections being incredibly quiet. And it was really frustrating. I spent like two days chasing what I thought was a ground loop hum that turned out to just be kind of the background noise in this particular uh, preamp. Uh, not an excellent experience, but there's a bunch of uh, there's a bunch of ones out there for well under 200 bucks um, that do really good work. Art's one of them. Uh, Cambridge Audio's Duo is another one. I actually might buy one of those because I like Cambridge Audio's work, and that's probably the highest performance I can afford. Uh, you know, for under you know 200 bucks on eBay, you'll get like 90 dB of of uh, separation on that, which is a pretty amazing for a phono preamp but i'll let you know and let us know what you choose and let us know what your favorite albums are email us pete ask at avxl.com tj posted an email to ask at avxl.com since this seems to be my day to say ask at avxl.com as many times as possible gents just wanted to pass along a note of thanks for mentioning sue research a couple of years ago i picked up a vtf3 mark 5 it's a nice subwoofer a couple of years ago and it was amazing to have a real subwoofer early this summer i picked up a second one wow low frequency sound that truly rivals the cinematic experience Added my Atmos in-ceiling speakers and my LG OLED TV, and I never want to go to a movie theater again. And Sue's customer service is outstanding. Regards, TJ, a very happy Sue owner. Nice. Yeah. Sue's amazing. RSL Speedwoofers, uh, SVS. Dr. Sue's made some amazing speakers over the years, but he's spent the bulk of his career making amazing instruments for reproducing low frequency audio i um, think if you're looking for a subwoofer upgrade any of the companies you just mentioned are top yeah. of the list start there you really can't go wrong <laughs> i covet your multiple subwoofers in one room that's uh, i have a a very large l-shaped room that the home theater is in i sense there will be more subwoofers in my life i mean technically i've got a subwoofer built into each of the golden ear speakers at the front but i want more subwoofer uh, I love that <laughs> Brent base. Butterworth did a really great article where he measured going from like one to four, maybe even six subwoofers in a room. Uh, and even going from one to two can do tremendous things to level out uh, or make the, the low frequency levels much more consistent no matter where you're positioned in the room. Yeah, the whole multi-sub, uh, how rooms react to having multiple subwoofers inside of them is kind of fascinating to me. 
And two is a sweet number for that. You don't yeah. have to go with four or whatever, but it seems that jump from one to two is significant enough to really consider yes. it if you can do it. That is true. JJ4884 sent us a message on patreon.com slash AVXL. By the way, if you want to support AVXL, please do us a favor and uh, become a patron at patreon.com slash AVXL. He wrote, Walmart on brand has a similar Roku 4K TV. Any thoughts on that? I reviewed a 400 or a $400, a $100 on tablet, uh, which was a really decent deal if you got the one with the better memory package. It wasn't as sleek as, say, a Samsung tab, but it had better performance because they spent less money on the enclosure and more money on the actual uh the actual uh, combination of memory and processor inside of that. As far as TVs go, Rob, feel free to, uh, you know, just take this away from me. I would say TCL, Vizio, Samsung, LG, Sony. I wouldn't buy any third brand TVs. Am am I overreacting to that? I have no personal experience with the on-brand. It seems that it's something built specifically for Walmart. Yes. The price is going to be compelling. That's really what you're going for. If you can get eyes on it and it looks good enough, the price is what's going to attract you to that. But for features like, well, this does have Roku built into it. Mm -hmm. On a budget for home theater, I would stick with something like a 6 Series, especially with HDR content. 6 Series TCL in terms of having a TV that can do about a thousand nits with high quality mini LED backlighting with even better local dimming than they had a year ago. Mm -hmm. That alone with the wide color palette of a quantum dot display, which is, I'm not sure if I saw that in their specs for this TV or not. I'd be curious to see. (laughs) But that quantum dot color is just as important to me as having the bright image and a good backlighting system that can do the local dimming the way these new 6 Series TCL TVs do for affordable prices. About 600 bucks for the 55-inch screen. Pricing goes up from there. I think they have a 65 and a 75-inch screen. As a value TV, no problem. But in terms of long-term enjoyment or something you're going to have in the living room, I would want it as bright and colorful as possible with the best backlighting system. Yeah, I'd like to see it reviewed thoroughly. The price is what's grabbing your attention there. For maybe a second TV, I would say take a chance on it. I do appreciate the fact they are using the Roku at least having Roku built right. in. I don't know if Roku's doing the entire interface the way they do on some TCL Roku TVs. It's hard to deny that value. They're super cheap, but I mean, the, I think the biggest issue is, you know, I mean, Best Buy's Insignia, you know, Insignia's Best Buy's in-house brand. I think Heyday is Target's in-house brand. Um, On is Walmart's in-house brand. Amazon Basic is Amazon's, you know, private label for cables and various and sundry other things. You know, the the challenge is that you don't know who made this television. The ones that I've seen testing for, it's been not good. You have to decide if compromising your image quality is worth saving uh, uh, money. Uh, You know, and, and certainly around Black Friday, there's been some insane prices like a 50 inch on tv for 150 bucks yeah i can get it that's amazing in terms of pricing and who manufactures on tv apparently a company called dura brand so (laughs) take that for what it's worth that's the thing uh (laughs) i wouldn't expect the world for a bargain like that i wouldn't expect wide color palette with good backlighting and good contrast control i don't think that is what you're going to be buying if you go that route as long as you're cool with that then the value is definitely there i mean good golly if it lasts a couple years or you plan to use this outside (laughs) 
Right. You know, it's one of those things. I just wouldn't be aiming at that considering how affordable something like a 55 inch TCL six series or the 65 inch or the 75 inch even is compared in, in terms of image quality for an LCD television. This is a good point just to say that good image quality doesn't cost a hell of a lot today. I mean, compared to even a few no. years ago in the LCD world, at least. There are more and more better options out there from companies even like Hisense and TCL and others that I just go to first if I'm looking for mm -hmm. image quality above all else. If you're a gamer, you have a whole different set of things you should be considering, especially looking at the next-gen consoles in terms of things like Dolby Vision support, peak brightness, game modes, things like that. But for just watching movies and TV, I don't want another 4K TV that only does, say, 300 nits compared to... You know, something that's relatively affordable as well that can do something three right. or four times that. That brightness is really uh, an eye grabber in, in terms of making HDR content look appropriate. And having right. a 300 nit TV displaying HDR content is meh at best. It's just not anything to brag about or to go, wow, this is blowing my eyes away every day. No, it doesn't work that way. The entry level is cheaper than it's ever been, but... Um, yeah. Again, I, well, you know you what? At, this does encourage me to actually, I doubt I'm going to walk into a Walmart anytime soon, but I now want to look at one of these TVs. <laughs> so, so I think I will actually, <laughs> I have a well, few, it's, I want to see it in I, action now. So I think TCL six series is only in the 65 and 75 inches. Then you, you go to the five series for like, you know, 50, uh, 55, 43 inch television. Oh, they have a 55 um, for the six series too. So. Not currently listed at the two places. I just looked for one for sale. Might be inventory issues. TCL 5 Series UHD television is 370 bucks. 650 for the 55-inch TCL 6 Series on Amazon right now. Okay. That's about normal price. And then it's yeah. 900 bucks for the 65 and 1400 for the 75. For a TV that can do literally a 1,000 nits of light output with quantum right. dot color and local dimming control, better than even the 2019 version. It is a nice <laughs> step up. That's a huge step up. Yeah. TCL is an interesting company. I uh, really appreciate they what are. they do. JJ4884 also added, quote, WebOS is not terrible. Robert, I listened to you complain about LG TVs and their app system on the LG UJ6500. I could install Peacock before Roku got a deal months after the original release. Also, Disney Plus, along with many other streaming service apps, good interface appear as well after system updates. I don't agree. I just say <laughs> if you look for apps on the LG platform, you get such a listing of crap apps that you're just like, why are these even here? It's like stupid games, stupid well, screensavers, 4K You could argue that for quotes. Roku, too. The, granted, that <laughs> stuff, some of that's available also on the Roku platform as well. It's just, ugh. Okay, yeah. And Peacock, I'm not even sure what I get out of that exactly, but I'm glad it's available now on Roku. For the other NBC streaming apps, though, they've already been supported by the Roku platform before. Mm -hmm. I think my biggest complaint, if I could pick one thing, it was that I also have odd issues with the built-in apps and external audio devices with some LG televisions. Some of the newer ones in particular, I was getting audio sync problems using the apps built into the TV, but not with any connected external devices like, say, a Roku streaming stick. That also very much colors my opinion about the whole thing. And then it's like, oh, I wanted MLB TV. And I was like, uh, you know what? I'm not even going to get into a nitpick of what's available on the Roku platform versus the LG platform, but... 
<laughs> Man, <laughs> LG does need to consolidate the best apps or the most popular into a more forward-facing section of their interface that helps you avoid some of just the... It, it seems they've opened that up where any developer can throw a crap app up on the LG platform. There are many of them where I'm just like, okay, I don't know what that is. That's just nothing I'm interested in or ever want to see. Where are the major players at? And that's something I find a little more difficult to do on LG's platform. But but once you get it set up, it's all kind of relative at that point. Mm -hmm. Once you do have your app picked out within LG's ecosystem, at least on my TV, they are very simple to access and use. And I do appreciate the speed of having it built right into the TV itself. It's just when I run into things like audio sync issues, which I am working with LG about to see if we can pin this down, but it makes it unusable for me as someone using an external audio system with the air I'm currently experiencing. I get you. You've got something built in. It's good enough and it's doing what you like. Mm -hmm. In other side news for LG TVs, though, I want to say that they just did an update regarding, and we'll probably get into this a little more next week, but if you bought one of the new NVIDIA cards, the 3000 series, and you were having problems with specific instances of 4K 120 or other issues like that within LG's TV systems, using those together, they are working on a firmware update to address some of those problems as well. And man, I don't want to go too off topic, but I am really thankful I did not buy this first round of 3000 series NVIDIA cards. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to take my messy. sweet freaking time. It'll probably be next year before I actually buy that card for my new computer. Well, you know, given the how short the supplies are, you may not have an opportunity to buy one anytime soon. No, and now they're talking about we the wrong see. capacitors were used on the boards and people are, people are being told to underclock their cards in order to have stable performance and i'm just like oh oh good riddance okay that's awkward i'm waiting well past when amd announces their products next month and go from there i need a new graphics card but i'm in no hurry at this point i wouldn't be in a hurry it's going to be impossible to buy them i don't know i'll be curious by the time they get to the 3070 whether or not uh nvidia much like amd their gpus always sell out at launch but they were warning people that supplies were short before the launch and i was just like oh wow do they not have enough fab time are they having yield issues um and then the whole bit with bots buying and nvidia dropping the freaking ball by not limiting purchases per person like they've done with every other launch for whatever reason this time around i don't know so suddenly they had to go through and filter out a bunch of orders on their own system. I personally am avoiding those situations. I do not want first-gen A1 hardware. I'm willing to wait a few months, let things settle right. down, let the drivers catch up, let LG fix their OLEDs. <laughs> and in a couple months, I'll be able to dive in and enjoy some of this because I, I am looking forward it. to trying it out. And I actually want to run my monitor at 4K 120 with, you know, 444 color <laughs> or RGB right. input and see, see what that's like from a brand new computer. JJ4084 mentioned uh, NBC Universal's Peacock, which is to say Comcast NBC Universal's Peacock, which is essentially Comcast NBC Universal's uh, streaming service that started earlier this summer. I haven't really spent much of any time on it, but there are some reasons to consider it. One, the entry level on it is free. Uh, two, to get all 15,000 hours of, or 15,000, uh, yeah, 15,000 hours, they have 15,000 hours of material to view 
if you go to the $5 a month premium version of it. So there is lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff to watch there. See, I'm not even sure what it is. Is it a back catalog? It's a streaming service. Yeah, it's it's their... Well, it's weird because it's not just their back catalog. They've got Universal DreamWorks Animation, Focus Features uh, from Hollywood Studios. 30 Rock is in there. Um, Everybody Hates Chris, Downton Abbey. They also do uh, Premier League soccer uh, in terms of uh, live sports. NBC News, CNBC, MSNBC, E! News. There's a ton of stuff there. And then, uh, you know, they've got... uh, you know, the SNL vault, Office Shorts, Seth Meyers now. They've got a ton of stuff. Okay. Um, because right now I'm using a separate app to do NBC Sports with the NBC Sports right. app. And I use that for streaming local baseball games and, and many other things as well. And there's also the straight up NBC app, which I was wondering if they were just simply going to roll everything into Peacock. But it sounds like they've got some right. demarcation between their, their content libraries and live content. Peacock has free with ads. Uh, premium with ads is $5 per month. Premium without ads is $10 per month. The premium with ads essentially is that full 15,000 hours of content they have. Ah. Um, so if you want, you know, if you want ad free, it's going to be 10 bucks a month. They also are doing the same thing that we've seen with HBO Max, where they launched with a bunch of classic titles, including Shrek in the Matrix trilogy and, you know, the, the first three Jurassic Park films, which were all gone uh, by the end of July, and I think they launched July 15th, or maybe the end of August, uh, and those titles were gone. So, you know, HBO Max launched with the Harry Potter films, which were then gone uh, a few weeks later. And also, much like HBO Max, Peacock does not do 4K, it does not do Dolby Vision, it does not do Atmos, it does not do HDR, it is a 1080p streaming service. So, we could probably dig into it and get into it some more in the next episode. I just. I, I find that there's already more stuff than I could watch in all the services I pay for. <laughs> Indeed. Without and a doubt. Uh, you know, if nothing else, we should we should spend some quality time with it to see whether or not it is uh, compressed, frustratingly compressed as HBO Max is. I don't know. It's curious to watch certain titles on HBO Max and just kind of recoil from the screen and then to watch something like Watchmen and be like, this looks amazing. Uh, but that's a conversation for another episode. Yeah, I was really hoping for more 4K streaming options for live events, especially sports. And that's something I'm still waiting for. <laughs> and maybe waiting for for a very long time. <laughs> At least I'm, I should be receiving that ATSC 3 tuner, though, in the next couple weeks. Apparently, uh, by mid-October, it should be in my hands. And I'm looking forward to checking that out to see if... If everyone's kind of waiting for this next transition for the digital broadcast system to roll out, then they have a legitimate reason to actually start offering maybe some streaming options for 4K. Thank goodness I at least have ESPN. I love their streaming app. I get my uh, F1. I get my, <laughs> I get a variety of programming with that. Never underestimate the power of MLB.com to make Robert happy when it doesn't oh, enrage him. <laughs> I don't think I'm subscribing to them anymore. I'm done with, oh. I am so over blackout restrictions. It is such a, a CF in terms of <laughs> in terms of wow okay two days ago there was a game broadcast okay it's blacked out local local game blacked out on MLB which it always is and then even on I want to say NBC's app it was blacked out there as well so I just kind of threw up my 
arms at that point and just said, I'm, I'm done with it. I listened to more baseball on audio broadcasts, either through the radio rebroadcast or... There's something really delightful about listening to a baseball game uh, on the radio. There's no reason to spend what I spend on MLB TV to be listening to just the audio side of it, so... <laughs> And I know, I know this year they actually gave us all a discount because of the, the shortened season and whatnot, but until they address that specific issue and make that just a thing of the, the past, blackouts. and I know it comes down to local markets and the broadcasters themselves, but they've got to just stop that practice. I don't see how it helps anyone except maybe their bottom line or to force you to specific places to watch that content. Well, that's probably the entirety of the reason they do that, but... Bless AM Radio. If you have thoughts on that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Bless AM Radio. When the wheels fall off, AM Radio will be there for you. Oh, my goodness. Uh, (laughs) This is AVXL. We're a home theater and audio podcast, and we love helping you find good stuff. Uh, Next week, we're going to be talking about the myth, the mystery, and the joy of 300-inch projection screen operations, i.e., why you probably don't want to use that projector you're looking at for a 300-inch screen. Uh, Finding ear pads for your favorite headphones, which can be really problematic uh, when you get into certain corners of the audio universe. And, you know, the words DIY will cross my lips more than once in that that conversation. And uh, if you have any insights on blackouts, Major League Baseball, and why they exist, please... Email ask at avxl.com because we are curious to hear the inside details of why Major League Baseball continues to torture Robert with blackouts. I don't Just think let it's him even, watch the A's. I don't think it's even MLB. <laughs> I think it's literally Comcast Sports <laughs> since they are the they own NBC or vice versa. And they are the broadcaster of the local games here in our our area. But it's, well, just, it's just ridiculous when I pay for an MLB account to access every game anytime. <laughs> Or any previously broadcast game throughout the entire season on a beautiful interface. But if I try to view live events locally, it's a no-go every time. That's just, <laughs> it, it's insulting. Let the man watch the A's. Just let him watch the A's. Oh. Is that too much to ask? They've got one small chance. Let me let me enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, those Dodgers were okay, though. Yeah, uh, who knows? I, I look forward to the end of this season and seeing how it all goes down. Sports ball people, it's there to break your heart, but movies and television shows will soothe you forever. Let that be a warning. <laughs> I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL. Do us a favor, become a patron at patreon.com slash AVXL if you can spare the contribution. Thanks. <laughs>